Welcome to the Selling Without Sleeves podcast with me, Sarah Jolly Jarvis. I'm here to share with you real life stories from high performing salespeople and business owners, as well as my own insights and learnings around what's working well right now in the sales world, telling things like it is without the sleeves. So I'm here today with the lovely Amy Rehovchek. That was. That was so check. close. I did it so well the first time. Rehovchek. Rehovchek. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. And we're going to talk around. So just first of all, we're going to start off with, you know, how did you get here? So what's your journey been so far? Um, and, you know, you're really passionate over women in tech. Um, why women in tech? Um, why are you so passionate over that area? Yeah. So I, I believe that sales is the, the greatest profession in the world when done properly. And I also think that I I also think that it does. We have a lot of room for improvement, embracing different types of humans. And so this is my passion extends. It's not just women. It's it is black people. It is uh, any kind of isms, the ageisms, the you know, whatever, but just to be more inclusive. So particularly in the United States and in tech, when I look at some of the stats around like the leadership numbers, I mean, we're still looking at 85% of sales floors are led by mostly white men. And that is a number that hasn't, we haven't made a great deal of progress in that particular area. And so uh, it's just one of the things that I am passionate about is, you know, helping individuals to break into the space. And so this could be the volunteering that I do with rework training, which is out of Chicago, or the incubators in the community college near me on the Jersey Shore. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just a fabulous profession that opens up doors economically. And, you know, obviously it requires a great deal of work um to to win in in this great profession of ours however however the type of person that's able to do that work and go through that work consistently and change themselves and improve and you know face down their fears and the discomfort and all that fun stuff you know we we get paid accordingly and there are not many professions that um that afford for that type of uh career trajectory financially in particular. And so I just, I, I love making sure that those doors are open for everyone. And, and, you know, personally for me, I, I, when I first started selling, I was, and I'll get into my story, but I was, uh, I started at ADP major accounts, which had back in 2006, it was the, it was very well known for having the best sales training program in the country. And so I came out pretty much until they hired me. I was the only woman on this, on the entire sales floor and had been the youngest person hired um, by the department, it, it, to my knowledge, at least at that time ever. And so I, I know what it feels like to be the only. And so I am, again, very passionate about giving and creating safe spaces where people can, you know, discuss that experience and, and what those differences feels like and, you know, what we can do about that together really moving forward does that answer the question that does yeah to to kind of there's a, there's a few bits you said there which i was like oh uh, i want to know a bit uh, more about that bit but uh, when you said about um you know opening doors it opens doors like you know other professions you don't have that and you're right i agree you don't have that sort of 
you work hard, you develop your work on yourself and, and you'll get rewarded. Um, mm -hmm. Do you think that, do you still feel like, I mean, I know in the UK and from my own experiences, um, doors don't necessarily open at the same level for people from the, you know, from different backgrounds. Would you agree on that in the States or do you think it's a much more level playing field? Oh, no, I would absolutely agree um, that it, it, we have a lot of room for improvement. And, and I don't think it's intentional. I don't assume malicious intent, even though I'm sure there's a, some of that. How it, people just tend to gravitate towards those that look like them, sound like them, have had similar experiences, went to the same colleges. And, and that starts really, at, at least in tech in particular, I'm speaking to, um, that starts at the top. And if you look at the, how the venture capital dollars are flowing out and down, um, I, I, I haven't seen any of the numbers from 2021, but in 2020, 98% of venture capital, 98 went to um, white men. And so it, it's, and I, I think it's the IMF has this like economic participation index and it tracks really your performance. It, it tracks everything. There's a bunch of different factors. It's like golf score, every country has them. And United States, or the United States is one of the lowest performing, uh, you know, first world countries. And when you actually look at the trend line, we're, we're moving backwards. And I would say that that is the, that's my biggest um, qualm or one of the things that motivates me to speak up and to, to discuss this topic is that nothing has changed. Nothing has changed in like 20 years. And so, uh, that's, that's not okay for me. And I, and I'm, I'm fully aware that this is a massive problem and it's certainly not going to be solved in my lifetime, but I'm committed to, at least during my time on the planet, I'm going to make it a little bit better. Yeah. Or That'd be nice try to see to. it going in the right direction would be nice. <laughs> that would be a win. <laughs> a that a would be a win. Because, you know, I do kind of see it as it's, it's not something, it's like a massive ship. You're not going to be able to turn it overnight, but it is, you know, getting it on that sort of right course. And I'm sure I've seen stats on actually when you do invest in women in business, the likelihood of actually getting that money back or it's succeeding is much higher with women than it is with guys. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's even on, especially on sales floors. I mean, the numbers all, are all there. And it's not just, it's, again, women, black people. Um, when it, When you've got diversity of of race diversity of gender diversity of experiences and and thinking and not to get all like fuzzy about it with the diversity of thinking um but but no your you, the decisions that are made at the proverbial table are stronger and better and it's, that's especially true for um women leaders on sales floors even women female sellers are you know it, I mean, it really depends on the study, but most of them point at how women do a lot better in this job. But that's not, again, that's not how it plays out. There, I think it was exactly that did a study that when you've got a, a dude that's running the sales floor, the, the dynamics on the team are, again, 80% white men, 20% everything else. Um, but when you've got a, a woman that steps into the to the leadership spot and is holding those reins, you see that much more of a 50-50 split. Yeah, I can see not that. To not to imagine the inclusiveness that is created. Uh, right. Again, not all the time. I'm not painting with a broad brush, no. but. but. But the stats do, you know, the overall stats. Yeah, are, just point out the know. numbers, friends. Like, don't <laughs> shoot the messenger. <laughs>
I think the thing is, you're totally right. I mean, you, you can see it where if you're bringing in, I, I talk to clients around, you know, with particularly with services that they provide, you are the biggest USP, your experiences to date, your life experiences, you know, you've got a different take on the same scenario. And if you've got different takes on the same scenario, you can come up with a different outlook, a different solution. Whereas if everyone's coming with the same take on the same scenario, you're not actually bringing all that much to the party. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, that's what we can do by having more diversity. <laughs> what is it that when when everyone thinks the same or has the same opinions and nobody's thinking or something? I butcher that silly euphemism, but there, there's there something is, about is, that that comes to mind. <laughs> but so, you know, Sarah, just real quick backstory about my, my story. So I was raised by I was raised by a sale, uh, sales leader mm -hmm. and I was originally going to go into politics. And so I had actually worked on, I'd worked on a ton of campaigns before college. I won this like, cause I'm like super competitive. I won this model Congress competition in high school. It was a tri-state thing, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. And that I got a scholarship to American university. And so that was, that was my path. I was going to work um, in politics and my first job out of school was a gubernatorial race in New Jersey which is a governor's race. And our guy lost in the primaries, right? So here I had spent four or five months, something to that effect, like really just, you know, on the community organizing stuff, but just you're, you get invested, or at least I do. Like I just, yeah. I got very emotionally invested in the platform and the candidate and what we were doing and what it represented and all this shit. Then he loses and I'll never forget the feeling, Sarah, when I'm sitting at my desk and I'm looking around me and all my peers just started putting their things into boxes like simultaneously. <laughs> and they picked up their box and went to the other dude's campaign, right? On the same ticket, because as one one candidate loses in the primaries and the other one is wins, and then the other one's campaign really doubles in size. So this is what happens. This is what everybody does. And I just, I don't know if I was like young or idealistic, but in that moment, I just couldn't, I couldn't, I, I knew I couldn't live like that. I, I couldn't. And so I took my box and, and went elsewhere. And I remember conversation with my dad and he's now here you, you've got a whole <sighs> lifetime of knowing what you would like up until what, what was I 22 at that point? Maybe you got a whole lifetime of knowing what you want to do and you're on that path. And then, you know, now what? And also you're staring at your dad thinking, I'm never going to do what he does. Like, I don't want to sell <laughs> <laughs> who wants to do that. And so I was like, <laughs> but my dad was like, Amy, I, whatever you do and how, just think about it like this, that there are two types of, of workers out there. There are work processors and there are work producers. And work processors are people that move, uh, you know, let's just say pile of paperwork or, or something from point A to point B. And this could be as high level as a financial analyst, right? You get some raw numbers on, uh, you know, at the beginning of the month, and then you crunch them up and throw them into some, you know, storyboard, the, the data points or whatever the hell you're doing with them and present it back to the team. You're processing those numbers, or it could be as low level as, you know, a McDonald's cashier that is processing the customer through their, you know, order giving and receiving 
process. The second type of worker, he said, is the work producer. And work producers are people that are able to create something from nothing. And work producers, if you choose, work producers make like five to 10 times more than -hmm. work processors. And if you choose to go the work producer route and focus on growing those skills and those abilities and your performance in that realm, those skills are highly transferable. You can take them with you and apply them into anything and everything that you do moving forward. And that was it. That was it. I was sold. Um, And so that's what I sought out to do. And so at that point, I had... Uh, I knew I wanted a good like training program because now it's like, okay, I got to learn how to sell. Even though, you know, I think like most of us, you know, how we're raised and that upbringing has a massive part of it. But that's when I started selling, kind of selling that the the person that you were working in the in the candidate, weren't you? Really? You know, like that's why you were so because when you said all they just moved over, it's a bit like, you know, when a company has a restructure and then everyone goes and works for the competition and you're like, but we've been saying, and that, and that was where I had an issue is you you've been saying that you're better than this. You've been pointing out the loopholes in your competition and you've been selling versus your competition. And then you're like, yeah, forget that because this week they're paying my paycheck. <laughs> I just couldn't do it. And I remember speaking to recruiters and being like, I am not working for this, this or this company because I, I can't go in and sell that product because I don't believe in it. And and I think that's the thing with the candidate. You were already selling, weren't you? You were just all in on that one product. <laughs> well, to sell as human, which is one of my favorite <laughs> sales folks. But so yeah, uh, Daniel Pink. <laughs> to, to sell as human. Have you read his new? Well, we can talk about that. But no, I was. I my. <laughs> I talk about that. Which new one? I've, I've read the. I've read the drivers one. The driving one drive and then the new yeah. one is when the scientific benefits of perfect timing really oh. good right it? so it's just well, yeah it was it changed it's i like i, I like mind bending books right mind benders yeah. right think about yeah. the my the matrix did you saw the matrix right with neo when he is like then you'll see it's not the spoon that bends it's only your mind right so mind bending books and so when was one of those and it challenged how i thought about time and which is that time and energy right one of our our most precious non-renewable resource that is equal for all of us and it was it it was exceptional it was exceptional oh really yeah but anyway so to sell as human and no i started I started young, like I remember my first, I was one of those like kid entrepreneurs, whatever. I like to do all those like bracelets the, with, the ro- with the strings, you tie them, whatever. So I got good at making these knot- knotted bracelets, taught my sisters, taught my cousins, taught my neighbors in like in a, you know, on our street. And I would buy their bracelets from them at a, like a very, very like pennies barely. And then I was, you know, around the beach, just like going up to people on the beach, like with, uh, with my, my, my surplus of goods and 
was hawking these bracelets. Uh, and my aunt was like, she was in love with this idea. And she's like, she's a graphic designer. She's like, well, let me, wait, let me make you some business cards. I think I'm, I don't know, maybe eight at the time. And I was like, oh yeah, this is a lovely idea. Modern bracelets it is. And then she's like, well, what would you, what would, Amy, what would you like your title to be? And I was like, I looked at her just like, I couldn't even believe it, it was question. I was like the boss. And she started laughing. <laughs> she's like well what about manager or like whatever i'm like no 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 the boss <laughs> i love it <laughs> so that one is selling both sides like selling, like selling my these kids like give me like, give work me. for you until your fingers bleed and take these pennies and then i'll like it <laughs> <laughs> and then the people on the beach but that one didn't turn out to be very profitable like we had some strikes there was some labor issues <laughs> so get back to what you were saying around you know your journey and you said like you know sales is like the best the the, the I, I, what what was what was your phrasing you said the greatest in profession in the world when wow. done properly when done properly and I down the when done properly bit what does done properly look like to you what a good question so the opposite of done properly is real it leads to burnout it leads to lack of fulfillment and i think that doing it properly requires to some extent a manager that is also doing it properly really <laughs> Um, and so here's a, here's a perfect example in Western societies, we tend to think about outcomes as where, where, where success lives, right? When I get married, when I buy a house, when I get that job, when I have a baby, when, 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 then I will be a success, then I will be happy. And that's not how it works. That's not how it goes. Uh, it's really success and you, you can redefine it in your brain and, and really pivot to this idea of being a little bit better than yesterday's version of yourself, right? Competing against the only competition that matters, that is yourself. However, this idea that success is based on an outcome is particularly challenging for sellers because that outcome never comes, right? You have a good month, you have a good quarter, like, you know, pat yourself on the back. Maybe you got the weekend to celebrate it, maybe. And then it starts all over again. And yeah. so that over an extended period of time, it takes its toll. It takes its strain. Mm -hmm. And not just on you and the individual, but your, your family as well. There are ripple effects, really, to not allowing mental health into the conversation when it comes to, to selling. I believe that the, the role should afford for a great deal of autonomy and creativity and the ability to run experiments. In, in most tech or on most tech sales floors, that is not very common, so particularly in the SDR role, which is the role that uh, that's our, you know, front top of the funnel, right? Opening up opportunities. I mean, we manage what these, what these humans do down to the day and task. And so it's like the opposite of creativity, the opposite of autonomy, the opposite of all the things that need to happen in order to find joy in the work that you're doing. And so uh, to your question, there's a lot of ways in which it's not done properly. And there are tons of factors and any one of them will do um, to kind of like derail that, that award that I would stamp on somebody's forehead, like you're doing it properly. But <laughs>
<laughs> no, no, I'm not doing that. But I like to think it in my head when I'm when I'm practicing silence or biting my tongue. I just I envision like what I would stamp on somebody's I head. Um, but don't tell, don't tell anybody. Oh my gosh, Sarah! When I was at Thomson Reuters, so a gold stars, right? That was my thing. I, I it started off as a snarky thing when somebody, oh, you did something well, like gold. Would, would you like a gold star, right? Is that what you're fishing for here? And so, but then I was like, you know what, son of a bitch, I'm gonna go buy some fucking gold stars, and I'm going to, you know, just keep them handy. And so for my peers, right? So we had a, a there was massive account team in New York for Westlaw, which is company underneath the Thomson Reuters umbrella. Anyway. Whenever someone would do something that I appreciated, I would take one of my, I would walk to their cubicle and I would take one of my gold stars and I would stick it somewhere where they would see it. And so that became, that became a thing. And so it was one of my favorite things. So it's not exactly a stamp on the forehead and they can leave it in the office if they want. But, you know, I was not shy about whether, when, when I was happy or not, but. (laughs) I've got one of my eldest, she's really into that sort of stuff she loves her gold star she loves her rewards and she they at school they have this snowflake of the day she's a snowflake and mm-hmm. um for the in her first year they she used to come home and she'd be like mommy mommy i got snowflake of the day they draw them out one by one until there's only one left in the hat and then they put them all back in again and they do it again but she loved it because for the day she like led everybody and she'd take that role very seriously my son's now in the same class and the mm-hmm. only way we knew he was a snowflake of the day was because my daughter found um, the sticker down the side of his car seat and was like, oh, Ethan, you were snowflake of the day. And it meant zero. Zero. It, it yeah. means nothing. He was just like, give me the bus. I just want the toy bus, which is in the nursery, and that'll do me. Um, it's just so funny. <laughs> that different people motivate. That's a nice gold star. <laughs> this is my gold star for you. I, friends, listeners, I just moved, and so nothing is hung, and I normally hang the stars like right above my desk or whatever. So there was this massive metal star that I just brought up into the window. You know what, Sarah? There's something you <laughs> um, well, you you deserve you earned this one, Sarah. My goodness gracious! <laughs> um, oh my gosh! No, but what you said it, it reminds me about your children that, and it's similar to so listeners, seller friends, and or business owner friends. People are motivated by different things, okay. and buyers are motivated by different things. And in many ways, we people learn in different ways. And so, they're just friendly reminder, friends. There is no such thing as a one size fits all. There is no such thing as a one size fits all process, really, um, especially these days. And you know, just keep that in mind. What what works for you? What what makes you happy? What makes you fulfilled? What motivates you is very rarely identical um, to the person you're sitting next to. So something to keep in mind as you think about what value is and how to deliver it to the people that you're serving. Yeah, and not necessarily just customers, but also staff. You know, like what what you find to be, you know, rewarding and motivating, they don't. And at the end of the day, if you want to motivate that person, you have to figure out how to motivate that person. Um, you can't just be like, well, you're faulty because, you know, you don't respond to the gold star. Um, it's like, well, actually, maybe you need a chocolate bar. Um, we've got one somebody on our team and she's obsessed with Snickers. And I'm like, I know that, you know, job done well. If I gave her a Snickers, she'd be well chuffed. Give her a gold star. Not so. <laughs> 
Um, no, Sarah, so if I may very quickly, there was a, um, because it's an important topic, the, what does doing this profession right look like? I wrote an article for sales hacker last year called, uh, mental health, the greatest competitive advantage you'll ever know. And that is rich, um, with, <laughs> I'm not shy about what I, where I, <sighs> how we have a lot of room for improvement on the management skill development front, right? Mm -hmm. To create more wellness or a space for wellness on their sales floors. But also there's a, there's a high degree of responsibility, obviously on us as individuals to take care of our own mental health uh, because nobody's going to do it for you. No one can. And so <laughs> that, that article is, uh, that article is packed with lots of actionable um, insights about uh, not not only what works generally, but also, you know, I share a piece of my story after selling for a decade, really <laughs> top performer. Like Sarah, I finished my last year selling. I hit my annual quota at Thomson Reuters in February and I won this like company wide award called the Spacha Award for exquisite champion building. Right. So top performer. But I I burnt myself out. And so that's also one of the reasons why I'm very passionate about this topic. So the article really goes deeply into that as well as um, what, what we can do better to take care of ourselves and those around us. And is that, is that Googleable? Can people find that on the internet? Is that I think it's, I know it's featured on my LinkedIn profile. So if you can okay. figure out how to spell my last name, right? So that that would probably a copy paste right. exercise. It'll be in the show notes, guys. It'll be in the show notes. I'll put your LinkedIn in there. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, we'll get people to, to have a look at that. Finally, because this is time's gone so quick. But um, what is if you were to give one piece of advice for someone starting out in sales, what would it be? So the advice would be to track your numbers. Um, but not in the like obnoxious, you know, management, like toxic competition dashboard way, but track your number. Like for those of you that have, are familiar with the, with Pareto's principle, also known as the 80, 20 rule, right? Disregard this. But if, if, for the, if anybody, if this is a new concept, what, what the 80, 20 rule is, is that you will get 80% of your results from 20% of your activities, 20% of your actions. And this is one of those, these like universal principles that just applies to everything. It's really, it's pretty crazy. Like when you get into it, how mm -hmm. consistently these numbers play out. And so the logic is, right, when you're first getting started, your job um, is to identify what those 20 percenter activities are, right, that are yielding you your 80% results. Uh, so that you can not only double, triple, and quadruple down on them, right? Do more of those things, but also stop doing the things that don't work. And yeah. that is a, a a mindset and a framework that really served me very, very well when I was learning to sell um, and learning how to be myself while selling. And to, I, I'm going to add a second one to that, that there, this is a hard business. This is a hard profession. There is learning in, but it just, it never stops. It never stops. Mm -hmm. And so what I like to cover with people is that it's do one piece at a time, 
focus on like think about the skills that you're acquiring and that you're putting together and building up as building blocks and the goal is not to boil the ocean and try to learn everything all at once because obviously that doesn't fucking work and it, and it's scary and all that shit but to do it intentionally one piece at a time and focus on deep practicing those building blocks and then once you you master something you know go on to the next one but be intentional about it um, nobody learns this business in a day. It is fucking hard and it's hard every day and it's uncomfortable. And while we can, uh, learn to get more comfortable in that discomfort, right? There's going to be more uncomfortable things that, that kind of keep piling on top of each other. So do it anyway, do it anyway, do it anyway. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Amy, for your time. It has been lovely to speak to you. If anyone wants to find out anything more about you and about your podcast, where can they go? What should they do? So the podcast is called The Revenue Real Hotline, and it is, it's a good fucking time. We, the theme of the show is uncomfortable conversations in sales. And we get very real on the show, and it's been a blast, and I would invite everybody to come join us over there. Other than that, I am on LinkedIn. It's absolutely the best way to, to, to find me. So I am very receptive and open to, to helping in any way I can. So do not uh, hesitate to shoot me a line. Let me know you listen to the show and or, you know, just, just DM me and we'll see what happens. Brilliant. Okay. Well, I will put those, I'll put both of those links in the show notes anyway, um, so that people can, can find you easily. But thank you very much for your time. It's been so nice to speak to you and I will hopefully speak to you again in the future. That just went way too quick. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Selling Without Sleeves podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you are listening from to leave us a review. It's a good way for us to know what you like so we can create more of it.